Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This content is brought to you by Uphold, which is a great platform that makes it easy and simple for you to buy, hold, and sell and earn crypto. You can trade from anything to anything. For example, you can trade between cryptocurrencies and precious metals. It's an amazing platform that I've been using for years. And in fact, I still use to this day because they're one, a great exchange, um, they're reputable, and they're one of the only exchanges that still lists XRP. Many of the other exchanges have delisted XRP due to the SEC lawsuit, but you can still get XRP on Uphold. So I have interviewed the CEO, the founder, and many other representatives from Uphold over the years. And I'm a fan of this platform. And once again, there's some great features like trading between different assets very easily. You don't have to convert to a currency and so forth. They're used by 10 plus million users. They have over 200 cryptocurrencies. And they have a very easy to use app. Uh, the interface is really nice. So I can certainly vouch for this platform. Once again, I've been a user for years. So if you'd like to learn more about Uphold, please visit the link in the description. Welcome back to the Thinking Crypto Podcast, your home for cryptocurrency news and interviews. With me today is Ben Edgington, who's the lead product owner at Consensus. Ben, it's great to have you on the show. Real pleasure to be here, Tony. Thanks for the opportunity. Ben, I'm super excited to speak with you. As I was mentioning before the recording this week, we have the Ethereum merge happening. Big it's milestone. happening. It's <laughs> happening. <laughs> Big, yeah, you got to have that meme come up uh, when I when I do the post production. Um, you know, I'm so excited. People want to hear about the building side and you know how did we get to this point and all the benefits and so forth. But before we get there, I'd love to get to know you better. Tell us about your background. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, sure. So uh, you can probably tell from my accent already. I am British. <laughs> I grew up uh, in the UK. I spent a few years in academia, ended up in sort of climate science, um, decided academic life was not for me long term. I jumped ship to work for a huge Japanese multinational I spent 10 years working on supercomputers. Uh, we installed Europe's then largest supercomputer in, in Germany in 1999. Uh, had a mighty two teraflops, which I think my desktop uh, sitting next to me here can do today. But this this was the size of a large room, uh, plus, yeah, all, all the rest. Um, and then, as is the way with large Japanese multinationals uh, ended up on the sort of manager track when I turned 40. And uh, that was um, the, the normal route and uh, ended up in sort of modestly senior management in sort of fintech um, information security area uh, in a head of engineering role there. And that's uh, that's where I came across blockchain technology and Ethereum in, in particular, and it really caught my attention became my out of work um, passion hobby uh, at that point and then a year and a half later so that was in early 2016 and about a, a year and a half later in October 2017 I decided to make my my passion my job um, which I, I do not recommend um, <laughs> and, uh, and joined consensus so I've been with consensus for about five years and absolutely love working at consensus um, and uh, 
my caution is when you make your passion your job, it sort of never ends. It's just kind of wall to wall. You, you never get a break evening or weekend. So, um, but yeah, uh, that's my life now and I love it. Uh, that's awesome. And I could certainly relate to making, you know, your passion, your your job, your career, because I made the jump to full-time crypto last year. And, and of course, my wife tells me, uh, you know, you, you got to stop the crypto at some point, like <laughs> you got to turn it off. But, you know, to your point, I mean, when it's your passion, it, it almost doesn't stop. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. My wife was like, when I said, well, shall I, shall I make this my full-time job? She was like, yeah, maybe I can have you back at weekends and evenings <laughs> then, but no chance. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So I, I can certainly make the assumption you have Ethereum in your crypto portfolio. Do you hold anything else? Well, uh, for tax reasons, my wife is a big crypto holder in, in this family. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, Ethereum is is number one. Uh, absolutely. Um, I have a moon cat, which uh, I'm particularly uh, fond of. It's early, very early NFT from uh, 2017, uh, I believe, and I was gifted that. Um, but uh, yeah, Ethereum is number one and a bunch of stable coins. But uh, yeah, that's it. Very cool. So I want to talk a bit about consensus, maybe just high level, and we can quickly touch on it. For those who don't know, um, you know, consensus and the work you, you all are doing on Ethereum, can you give us a quick overview of consensus and the mission? So Consensus today is uh, Ethereum's most significant software company. We are building um, products to empower the decentralized future. Uh, and uh, the well-known products are MetaMask, uh, Infura, Truffle. Uh, so it's a range of um, user-facing and uh, developer-facing products. Uh, and also at the protocol level, we have Teku, which is my client, which is supporting the proof-of-stake network, and Besu, which is our uh, execution client or Ethereum mainnet client, um, however you want to to call it these days. And yeah, those those, those are the big things, a bunch of other um, things around that. Um, consensus, of course, started, I guess, seven years or so ago, somewhere around 2015. Um, it's evolved quite significantly since then. So uh, originally was like a venture studio trying literally, I think, hundreds of different experiments with the hope that some would uh, develop into um, products, useful products, and you know some have, and uh, many have not. Um, it's be, it was fascinating being in that environment. We used to have a sort of motto: "Everything is an experiment." That used to be our sort of theme, um, and uh, it was yeah, very very wild. I mean, we tried uh, everything, um, including asteroid mining, famously. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> but um, over the past two to three years, we have um, narrowed things down uh, and focused on really what are the products that bring biggest value, uh, give, deliver the biggest impact and are, and are sustainable um, for the future. And specifically things that empower others to build products. You know, a consensus is not trying to own the whole um, crypto space, we are building a platforms and enablers uh, like, you know, like Infura, like Truffle, like MetaMask that allow others to to do great things uh, in, in this space and, and indeed like our protocol products. Yeah. I mean, you guys have been working on a lot of great things and uh, I have a question for you. I know Consensus had uh, acquired JP Morgan's Quorum. So is it just those two primary blockchains that Consensus works on, mm -hmm. Ethereum and Quorum, or are there others as well? Yeah, so Quorum is enterprise-oriented, so you can build a private uh, en uh, enterprise blockchain uh, using Quorum and, and also Besu, which is our um, is a mainnet Ethereum client, but it also has all of the privacy features and so forth to be able to build private networks um, uh, uh, as well. Um, we consensus has also been involved with uh, Filecoin. We're working on some layer two things like uh, you know Arbitrum Optimism. We're supporting them in various ways. Um, we have our own in-house um, zk EVM development going on. Currently, so that the, there's a lot going on, but you know, number one is the Ethereum community and supporting Ethereum. That that remains the primary mission for us. 
for sure. Okay, so let's talk about Ethereum 2.0, the merge that's <laughs> happening this week. And, um, you know, I'm going to ask maybe some basic questions, but I think it's important because there are a lot of new folks to the asset class and the technology that want to learn about uh, the history and what led up to this and why is this happening. Um, so tell us maybe if you can, uh, the history of Ethereum from proof of work, and then why are we moving to proof of stake? So the Ethereum network started in 2015 as a proof of work network. But even before that, around 2014, Vitalik published uh, uh, articles about proof of stake. And it was always a stated goal to move Ethereum to proof of stake at some point. Um, that's what really caught my eye in early 2016 when I first got involved. I thought this proof of stake thing sounds incredible. Uh, I wanted to be part of that. Uh, and one of there are a couple of reasons for it. One is the the obvious environmental benefits. Um, we will be using uh, 99.95 or percent less or or even less power post when we move to proof of stake. So, yeah, one two thousandth or or better than than we're currently using with proof of work. Um, but there are also security benefits to proof of stake. We just believe it's a better security model. Than, than you can achieve under proof of work um, that uh, for the similar value invested, you, you get better security for your money. So uh, those are the kind of key reasons we're, we're moving to proof of stake. It's been a long journey um, from 2014 to, to now. There have been many evolutions in the thinking and planning uh, of this. Um, I won't necessarily call them dead ends, but you know there have been designs which we have not pursued um, uh, uh, along the way, um, partly because new, better technologies have come along. So uh, they've just enabled us to be more ambitious and to build out. Um, you know, an early design required stakers to put down one thousand five hundred ETH to be. Um, a validator on the network, just because it we had to limit the capacity to a few hundred participants. Now we do 32 Ether, uh, and we have uh, 420,000 validators uh, on, on the network. So we, we scaled up our ambition in that sense and uh, made it more practical for smaller stakers to, to become involved. So all of that has sort of taken time to, to feed through. Um, we had a plan. Um, we we put down something called the Beacon Chain. So this is a proof of stake network about uh, a year and a half ago, a bit more, December 2020. So this has been running um, alongside Ethereum mainnet. So Ethereum mainnet runs on proof of work. That That's just kept on chugging for the last seven years. Um, alongside that, a year and a half ago, we put down this proof of stake chain, the Beacon Chain. And it currently only sustains itself. It doesn't run any transactions. It's just a vehicle for proving that proof of stake works. It's secure um, and and building the, the, the proof of stake foundation uh, there. It's been running flawlessly. Um, it's got about, well, it's about 13 million ETH. So I don't know, 20, $21 billion worth of value staked in it today. Um, and the goal with the merge. So about a year and a half ago, um, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Consensus, in fact, conceived the idea for the merge. How do we very quickly get Ethereum onto proof of stake? We had a much longer term plan, but he came up with this idea of taking the uh, existing proof, um, existing execution layer, which is all the smart contracts, all people's accounts, all of the interfaces that uh, dApps use, and shifting them over wholesale onto the proof of stake chain, which already existed at that point. So that was Mikhail Kalinin, and he sort of architected this merge. So uh, what we're doing, we've got the existing blockchain running, the sort of top layer, which is all of the execution, the smart, smart contracts and everything else. Uh, and we're just swapping out the proof of work from underneath it and inserting the existing proof of stake chain. Um, and it's that simple. <laughs> just just like changing the engines on the plane when you're when you're flying. I mean, you know, straight, <laughs> it should, should be straightforward. <laughs> How many developers are are working on uh, or with you and and for this merge? 
Yeah, so it's a huge distributed uh, effort, right? And um, as lots of teams in lots of places, each with their own kind of goals and motivations for, for being involved. Uh, all in all, working a, a, on Ethereum core developments, um, there's about 120 or so developers. You can look at um, Protocol Guild is um, basically a curated list of the full or part-time core devs uh, on Ethereum. That's about 120. And I'd say 70 to 80% of those are somewhat involved in, in the merge effort itself. Uh, so getting on for 100 or so devs. And they're split amongst uh, research teams, especially the Ethereum Foundation, also some researchers at Consensus, uh, and client software dev teams, both on the um, what we used to call the ETH1 side, you know, the execution side, the traditional Ethereum clients like Geth and Besu, which is a consensus client, uh, and Nethermind and Aragon. And then on the consensus layer side, we've got the uh, clients like mine, Teku, uh, and um, uh, try to remember all the names, Prism, Lighthouse, Lodestar, and Nimbus, which are the, the five consensus clients. So amongst all of those teams um, and a few independent re researchers, uh, yeah, maybe around 100. Wow. Um, you know, at the time of the merge, do you anticipate any downtime or disruptions in transactions? You know, will there be like an, an anticipated downtime that everybody will know about? So our goal is for it to be completely transparent. Yeah, If, if it goes well and we have every expectation of it going well, then users and people transacting on Ethereum will, will not even know it's happened. You know, it will be um, uh, even if they're just sending transactions in the moments. It, it, it the, the goal is for it to be seamless. Uh, I expect exchanges will suspend withdrawals and deposits. Um, this is typical. This is normal for for any upgrade. But yeah, anyone um, working on on the main chain uh, should see no difference at all. If Very things cool. don't, yeah, that's that's the goal, and that, yeah, it's one of the nice features about doing this merge, taking these existing components. We're taking the existing ETH one client and just swapping out the consensus layer, so everything from the user point of view remains exactly the same. Um, they don't know the engine's being swapped; it, it just keeps rolling. What could happen? What if it doesn't go well? Um, one of the characteristics of these blockchain distributed systems is that they are highly resilient to, to failures. I mean, it's kind of the goal of building these things is that they are um, they just keep going in the face of bad actors or failures or, or whatever. That is part of the design, part of the, the whole kind of whole point of the thing. So what we may experience is some degraded service. It, it, it's not going to stop, but we may see some missing blocks, for example, slow block times, or um, it, it, in the worst case, the proof of stake network might not finalize. Now, finalization is a new feature which comes with proof of stake. It's one of the security sort of additions or gains that we get with proof of stake. Um, and uh, we normally it happens after 13 minutes and you declare a block absolutely final. Uh, the network will never revert that block. Um, which you can never say in proof of work. There's always a chance that however deeply your block is buried, somebody will appear with a longer fork, a 51% attack they've been working on, and and, and your block is, is gone. In proof of state, we, we have finality, and we can say usually after 13 minutes that that block is, is secure forever. It's in the history forever. Um, if network participation drops, if a third of nodes go offline during the merge due to misconfiguration or a bug or something, um, then finality might be delayed. Now, not the end of the world. Um, the chain will keep on chugging. It's just we don't get this nice property uh, until more nodes come back online. Mm. Um Exciting. I'm, I'm really excited about this because I've been staking ETH on the beacon chain and earning some rewards that way. And um, I'm curious, you know, I, I know there's probably going to be miners who are not happy about this change, right? Because financially, they're incentivized to continue doing what they're doing. How are you guys working with these miners to maybe try to get them to, hey, take the ETH you mine and get on, you know, mm. from a proof of stake standpoint? 
Yeah, I think the mining community is made up of two different sorts of miners. And, you know, I think there are miners who very much see themselves as part of the community. They've been contributors to Ethereum, involved for a long time, believe in the mission, um, you know, reinvest their their Ether into uh, staking, uh, for example, and um, generally will, you know, come come along on the journey. And Ethereum's always been moving towards proof of stake. It's not a surprise is it's been on the roadmap for for a long time people might have believed it was longer and longer out you know i mean it's taken a while but it's always been the goal it's been part of the dna of ethereum so you know i think those miners are reconciled to the change and uh and working accordingly and then there's a community of miners who are just kind of hash rate for hire they'll just go to whichever chain is offering the biggest rewards there's no loyalty they're just service providers and you know they'll they'll, they'll do what they want um and we we don't feel a necessity to engage with them they've just been you know taking rewards when they're available and but not actually feeding back into the ecosystem so uh they can they can do as they wish you yeah. know for sure um so Ethereum has had the first mover advantage. There's been a lot of building on Ethereum over the years. I, I just remember ICOs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your crypto kitties, you got uh, DeFi, you have NFTs, you got decentralized apps and so forth. And one of the challenges I'm sure I think a lot of people are aware of, uh, there have been the gas fees, which have been very high. Mm-hmm. Will moving to proof of stake help reduce these gas fees and improve the transaction times and things along those lines? Yeah, uh, gas fees are quite low at the moment, but they have been much higher, as you <laughs> rightly say. Uh, so the the merge itself will not significantly change throughput or, or gas prices. So this, yeah, we need to make this a kind of banner headline because I think a lot of people still have in mind that this is the full delivery of Ethereum 2.0 and this changes everything. No, it doesn't. This is This is only at this stage about the move to proof of stake and getting Ethereum off proof of work on, onto proof of stake. Now, it does lay a foundation for the parallel work that we're doing in improving scalability. So Ethereum scalability is now all about um, roll-ups and layer two solutions. Mm. And we have a bunch of stuff at the protocol level, which is you know, pipelined be behind the merge uh, to deliver, which will increase the effectiveness of roll-ups, you know, give them 100x, 1000x better performance. Um, but that's not the merge. I mean, that's the merge is the first step. And then over the you know, six months, year, year and a half after the merge, we will be incorporating those advances into the core protocol. And then the rollups will, will, will get the benefit of that. So, so layer two is where the scaling is. And, you know, people concerned about gas fees and so forth, uh, uh, that that's the place to go. You know, seriously investigate the optimisms, the arbitrums, the zk sinks, the um, Starkwares, and and all all of that uh, of this world. That that's the future, secured by the base chain. The Ethereum base chain secures everything, offers them the maximally decentralized censorship resistant security, but um, the the applications in future will will, will sit on the on the upper layers. That's interesting, and I appreciate you clarifying that because I think folks sometimes miss the layer twos and uh, they think, well, could Ethereum lose market share and adoption despite its first mover advantage because of the Solanas of the world, the Cardanos? And I'm not saying that's going to happen, but those are thoughts and questions that are put out there. Um, So it's interesting. And to your point, you're going to focus more on the scalability and the transaction items in phase two after, after the merge. Yeah, I mean, it's happening now. I mean, these L2s exist, uh, and they are offering, you know, um, transactions for pennies. I mean, it's um, it, it's available today, but they are still slightly limited. You know, if they want to scale by 100x from where they are today, then they need some more support from the base layer. So this is what we want to, to work towards over the next couple of years. Um, and then we're looking at, you know, huge scalability in the system as a as a whole, you know, it's not all about the base chain anymore. The base chain, yeah, in some ways, fades into the background, which is perfect. I mean, it's infrastructure for the planet, and uh, um, infrastructure should be in the background. You shouldn't be kind of like 
you know, seeing it and interacting with it every day. That's the supporting network. And then we're building um, layers on top of that, which the users interact with uh, very cheaply, very quickly, and because of the base layer, very securely. For sure. Um, I wonder if you could walk through, you know, let's say there's someone new to crypto and they bought some Ethereum and uh, they're listening and like, oh, okay, move to proof of stake. Can you walk us through what they could do in order to earn staking rewards and what those staking reward rewards percentages would be, uh, you know, as far as APY and things like mm. that? So there's a range of useful things you can do. So uh, the gold standard is to run your own node. Now, to do that, you need 32 Ether. That's the, the minimum stake, which is quite a high bar these days. Um, but if you you know, are blessed to be able to uh, get your hands on that, then running your own node is very feasible. I run a node from home. Uh, I'm on a very poor network and uh, I've got a little box that, that cost me a, a few hundred dollars and it's been chugging away for the last year and a half uh, and uh, performing perfectly. So very um, reasonable to do. And there are plenty of staking guides out there. Um, and there are things... Um, uh, like, um, step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business? Introducing the Godfather at chabacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. DAP node. <laughs> Just struggling, reaching for the name there. You know, which are basically one-click install devices, uh, and you can be up and running with your snake stake um, uh, pretty quickly. So. That's the sort of gold standard, and that decentralizes the, the network maximally. Um, slightly behind that is something pooled staking, like Rocket Pool. Rocket Pool is decentralized staking, um, which you can join. I forget what the lower limit is, but something like you know 0.1 ETH or something like that. And you pool your staking uh, with others to reach the 32 ETH threshold, and it's run by an operator, and it's guaranteed by smart contract infrastructure on, on the Ethereum uh, mainnet. And uh, they've, they've worked very hard to make it maximally decentralized. So that's a really good solution if you haven't got the um, the 32 ETH. And basically, um, you buy R ETH, which is the Rocket Pool uh, liquid staking derivative, um, uh, as as part of that, you get RETH, and then you can stake that in and DeFi and stuff like that. Um, and then moving along the spectrum a bit, there's uh, Lido, which is a big staking aggregator. They've got about 20, 20 plus operators um, behind them. They're a huge uh, operation on Ethereum, uh, on the staking network. They actually control about a third of the stake, which is little concerning um they're not you know there are different views on this it looks quite centralized because it's a single dao that essentially um manages that stake but actually is run the the the, the data centers running the validators are very very distributed across 22 plus uh, might be 29 now in fact different operators so um Lido has staked ETH. STETH is a liquid staking derivative. Um, and, you know, when you stake with Lido, you get that and you can put that into DeFi and stuff as well. And they're moving all the way to the kind of far end, the slightly um, uh, less desirable end of the spectrum is, you know, uh, you can go to Coinbase and you can click yeah. the stake my ETH button and, and just forget all about it. Um, right. And, that's not, honestly speaking, that's not really helping the network. I mean, that's not adding to the decentralization of the network or uh, or the resilience of the network in any sort of meaningful way. Um, but it's an option. And, you know, for the privilege, Coinbase will take, I think, 25% of your staking rewards. Whereas if you, if you, st if you solo stake or you, uh, then, you know, everything is yours. Um, and in terms of return, I think, 
you, you get several different sorts of return. So currently, pre-merge, uh, validators on the beacon chain get rewards for their protocol activity. That's making blocks and that's voting on blocks. And it's running about 4% per year in, in ETH terms. Yeah. Uh, Post-merge, validators also get the uh, transaction fees from transactions they include in blocks. So just as miners today get um, transaction fees, I think we call them miner tips. Uh, I always forget what the current technology is on, on that one, but uh, yeah, what's left after the base fee is burnt is uh, goes to the, the miner. Validators will receive those. Um, that will be another uh, two or three percentage points uh, above your 4%. And then there is opt-in, MEV, minor extractable value or maximal extractable value, which is extra income you can gain from ordering transactions in the block. So sandwich attacks, arbitrage, uh, and, and so forth. Uh, and we have a, a block builder network has, has sprung up to provide MEV ready blocks. And so block builders will bid to validators and say, I will give you X ETH to include my block and another block build will say, I'll give you Y ETH to include my block. And then you can choose the one which is most profitable for you. Uh, and there are some estimates out. That's probably another couple of percentage points on your, on your yield. So looking at something like a maximum about 8% um, per annum. Wow. Um, that's certainly a strong incentive. Um, and what we're seeing, I, I, I've been seeing reports at least uh, just this morning, I saw one from bank of America saying, Ethereum's move to uh, proof of stake, the merge happening, will uh, bring in more institutional investors um, and builders on Ethereum. Um, are you guys anticipating, you know, more adoption? Can you talk a bit about what this opens up as far as adoption and building? Yeah, I think the proof of work narrative has become very bad for for blockchains, and you know, I think our move to proof of stake is very timely. Uh, the environmental narrative uh, has been pretty toxic uh, over the last year or so, and I'm, you know, I'm delighted to be part of making that move. And I, I, I think that has been a problem for um, users, brands in particular, who want to build on Ethereum, uh, have received a lot of pushback from users because of the. Um, just the power consumption, the carbon footprint. And you know, we are looking to reduce that by a factor of 2,000 or more with, with the move to proof state. Essentially, it becomes negligible, right? We take away all of the proof of work mining um, uh, burn uh, uh, on that. So uh, I think that will make it a, a much more palatable story for uh, brands and institutions who wish to uh, get involved with Ethereum. Um, so yeah, definitely a, a, a better narrative uh, around that, and um, yeah, I very much hope it will will encourage more adoption. I mean, we're all about openness. We're all about being a platform which is permissionless. Anyone can come and build anything on Ethereum. We want to remove as many barriers to that as we possibly can, uh, and uh, yep, yeah, uh, look forward to you know supporting the the, the de decentralized uh, future. And, and I'm assuming you guys are anticipating there's going to be big institutions looking to um, stake as well, right? And I mean, the, to your point, that proof of work energy narrative is now off the table. They don't have to worry about that or that risk. Um, mm -hmm. And now they have a financial incentive to come stake as well. Yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see the... Um... You know, the execution risk of the merge being behind us uh, yeah, later this week um, will, I think, definitely uh, help. At some stage, we need to um, put in withdrawals. We need to implement that. So currently, if you stake, your stake is still locked. Even with the merge, you're still not able to unstake it meaningfully. So uh, within some months i mean it, we're still debating as devs you know the exact timing on that within some months you'll be able to unstake uh that will be the ultimate de-risking for um institutions i think uh who may be nervous about locking up their uh their assets for an indeterminate length of time you know at the whim of the core devs but uh yeah i mean absolutely i i can see it becoming mainstream i it's essentially um uh, uh 
an internet bond. I mean, it's, you know, uh, it's basically essentially risk-free returns for, for, for staking into the protocol generated by the protocol. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to see, you know, who's, who, who are some of these institutions that are going to make that big jump. Um, I want to talk NFTs and NFTs on Ethereum. Uh, certainly the NFT market has boomed and we've seen just a lot of different types of artworks. And then we see big brands now starting to build NFTs. Um, we know that we're still in the early stages. So are you guys anticipating a lot more building of NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain? And, uh, you know, are you prepared to handle that, you know, the volume and all those things? <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, I mean, layer two to, to the rescue, a lot more is happening on, you know, the non-base chain, which it, which is the right, the right thing to do. Uh, NFTs have been fascinating, right? I mean, this, I think, is it's been really interesting to see um, a world that that is mysterious to me, the sort of art world, the the collectibles world, you know, coming intersecting with my sort of techie blockchain world. And yeah, I get the impression that the blockchain technology is just not really interesting to them. And you know, this is perfect, right? This is what success looks like. They they don't care what the technology underlying it is, as long as you know, they benefit from the the decentralization, the permissionlessness, the robustness of, of the network. And for me, that that's what success looks like for Ethereum for, for a blockchain. It's just in the background. Uh, users don't even know they're running on it, but they gain the benefits of it. Uh, and it's been absolutely fascinating to see this world um, de develop. It's not my world. I kind of keep an eye on it and, you know, sometimes see some of the, the things going on uh, on there. I would never have anticipated it would become so huge, but uh, um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's really, really interesting. And I, I think has a future. Digital scarcity, you know, that's what blockchains are about. The, it, it's a thing and uh, people are are waking up to that. So a question for you, and I don't know if you can speak much to it, but right now, let's say I go to OpenSea and uh, I, I'm building NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain. I'm transacting it with the Ether currency, right? Um, to your point of layer twos, how are you guys, let's say like Polygon Matic, um, how, will you, how, how will the switch over happen? Will it be like, okay, th these NFT marketplaces will eventually integrate the layer twos and highlight that this is a layer two on top of the ethereum blockchain like i'm just trying to put those those things together and i don't know if my question is off base yeah i mean if you go to OpenSea today uh all of my nfts whether on polygon or on ethereum are, are, are listed and i didn't do that they they just automatically pick it up right so it, it's happening uh the this sort of ecosystem where we have multiple L2s built on an L1 and you have to choose your L2, this is being abstracted away by the front ends. And that's absolutely the the, the right thing to do. Um, and, uh, you know, just, you know, in the same way, you know, I can use a website and I have no idea where it's hosted, what hardware it's running on, and, you know, how many machines are serving my web page and whatever. I, I don't know. I don't care. And in the same way, you know, the front ends and the the protocols that are being built on uh, the application level protocols will abstract away all of this complexity. There will be bridges that automatically bridge your ETH from one chain to another. You don't need to worry about moving it over and so on. It, it's um, today. It's not what it will be. You know, it's today. It's clunky. It's um, it, it, the you, you can see the joins uh, and so on, but but already with something like OpenSea, we're we're getting there, and it's becoming a more more seamless uh, user experience, and that's only going to improve as as we get more familiar with the tech, as more you know user oriented people come into the system and, and build more usable systems. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, you know, people are not going to care. They just want it to work. And and <laughs> it's it's kind of like the pipeline of the existing internet. You don't care about the HTT protocol and the headers and all that stuff and what server and this server and that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm old enough that the first web browser I used was an in-terminal text-based web browser. And um that was clunky. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's uh, when Mosaic came along with 
built-in graphics i mean you know this was world changing and um it's we haven't had our mosaic moment yet i i think you know our usability kind of um singularity uh yeah but it, it will happen we're still at the sort of clunky vt terminal based um development stage of blockchain stuff and users are coming along and expecting that it's easier to use and it and it isn't and that's kind of you know our fault but it but it will be you know it's going to be much smoother and it's you know the the experience will be as seamless as browsing on your phone i mean you know one of these days for sure um a question just came to mind and i've been talking to other uh projects and so forth and there's central banks that are building cbdc's central bank digital currencies um a lot of people are not fans necessarily but it's happening right and i'm curious if ethereum has been piloted or you've been approached by central banks where these CBDCs could be tested on the Ethereum blockchain. Yeah, it'd be fascinating, wouldn't it? Um, I think more likely is somehow stable coins on Ethereum getting folded into national economies, getting recognized potentially as, um, I, I won't say necessarily legal tender, but as a sort of proxy for legal tender, perhaps. Um, in the UK, there have been some murmurings about this, some interesting moves uh, into perhaps putting some reasonable regulation around stable coins that will make make them you know, part of our our normal economy. You know, I would like to be able to pay my taxes in in Dai. You know, that would be that would be a massive milestone. Um, so. I think that's more likely than a full CBDC being built on Ethereum. And I say that because the premise of Ethereum is that it is fully permissionless, fully censorship resistant, and so forth, where governments actually really want to retain control. Um, so whilst they could build it, I, I'm, yeah, I'm skeptical that they will. Um, so uh, it, I, it just came to mind, that would probably be the quorum solution, right? Privacy. And, and more enterprise, so that they would probably want to try it on there versus Ethereum, to your point. Right, right. Uh, it likely, I think, to be per-country closed systems. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. We'll see how Britcoin <laughs> gets developed. <laughs> they were talking about Britcoin a lot a year ago, but it's, it's gone quiet on that front lately. <laughs> yeah, we'll I mean, it, it, it's, it seems like there's discussions, all these central banks are talking about it, and we'll see where it goes. Uh, certainly, a lot of people are concerned about the privacy aspect, right? And, and that government's going to control your money to another mm -hmm. level and, and everything that you buy and sell. But uh, that's a whole other conversation. Um, on the note of regulations, uh, I know you guys just got a new prime minister who's going to, who, uh, from what we've seen in her tweets, is crypto friendly. And we know the United States is still trying to figure out crypto regulations. What are your thoughts on how things have been going, I guess, globally or with at least the superpowers of getting crypto regulations right? Yeah, I'm quite encouraged to uh, see some of the noises coming out of the UK government over the last year, some general positivity towards crypto. And interestingly, you know, we had this Brexit thing a, a while back. Uh, I think there's a, a desire to differentiate ourselves from the European Union to an extent. Um, and one way, well, while the European Union seems to be bringing in some quite heavyweight legislation around crypto, uh, there seems to be a desire in, in the UK to sort of differentiate from that and, and be um, more innovative to enable you know, more innovation on crypto and just generally be more hands-off on, on the regulation. So that that that's looking interesting. Um I'm I'm intrigued. Everyone talks all the time about the US legislation. And actually I think I think that's a sign that we're we're not yet where we want to be. I mean I think mm -hmm. there's a danger for the for Ethereum, for for blockchains in general, where one economy, one legislature uh, dominates. And you know what happens in in that um, uh, in that legislature affects the whole chain. It shows we're not properly decentralized, right? We we need to be more resilient uh, that, than that. And I understand, you know, U uh, U.S. as as you know, one of the largest or the largest global economy is always going to have an outsized 
influence but uh we do seem to spend an inordinate amount of time talking about what the sec is going to do and yeah. you know i'm sitting here in the uk thinking why why do i care i mean you, is it is it a security is it a commodity does why do i care and uh uh but people seem to get very very vexed about this in in the states and it has this sort of outsized dominates the narrative in in some ways yeah i mean to your point it's 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 a big, big conversation happening and um, we'll see where, how things go. There's some big events and meetings happening here, at least uh, with Gary Genser, chair of the SEC and, and members of Congress. Um, but to your point, you're on the building side and you just want to make sure it works. <laughs> um, so I could certainly understand that you guys are heads down building. Um, I want to get your thoughts on, uh, you know, big institutions that are entering the market and we kind of touched on this with enterprises and so forth. We just had BlackRock, uh, world's largest wealth manager, into the market. Um, you know, could they be eventually staking on on the Ethereum blockchain? Right. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on how the market has grown? Given that you got in 2016, we're now in another league compared to what happened you know years ago. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, being part of um, um something that a platform that supports hundreds of billions of dollars of economic activity um is i mean i guess it was sort of always the end goal but it sort of surprises you that that it's happening right i mean sort of looking back i mean we've always pitched ethereum as the settlement layer for the planet i mean that's you know there there've been a bunch of um ways we've looked at it the world computer and so on but you know one of the consistent strands has been settlement layer for the planet, the ultimate kind of high court, as it were, uh, underpinning you know global economies. And so, yeah, you know, the back of the mind has always been the scale of ambition. It has to be, by its very nature, tr- supporting trillions of dollars of, of economic activity in 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 the end game, if that's going to be true. So, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but um, it does, you know, feel slightly crazy we've got this ragtag band of 100 or so plus you know core devs loosely coordinated um yeah we're not um uh our processes are evolving our roadmap is evolving we're just kind of trying to do the best we can we're not sitting there thinking right i want to build a trillion dollar network how am i going to do it? it it is fascinating how it's been a sort of build it and they will come scenario um and yeah, I, I mean, I think it will go from strength to strength. Um, yeah, we're cautious in in Ethereum world. We evolve and deliver slowly. Um, some people get very frustrated by that, but you know, it's caution. We desperately do not wish to break anything. But on the other hand, we're ambitious. We're not as cautious as Bitcoin, which is basically takes their their protocol. Um, uh, that it's frozen as a, as a, as a virtue. Um, we don't see that as a virtue. We want to evolve and you know add capacity and add capability to it, but we do it in a way that we um, believe is sustainable and you know promotes the values of decentralization, censorship resistance, permissionlessness, and you know, and reliability, robustness. You know, we don't actually break anything. So. Yeah, it's a fascinating balance. I mean, I, I absolutely love being part of this community for, for all those reasons. You know, it feels like doing something important, mm. but also there's this this terrific interplay between the all, all the devs working on the same problem sort of independently. Uh and uh yeah, I'm you know thrilled that consensus is part of this and you know, as um uh, I was going to say put a stake in the ground, but <laughs> that's a bit of a that's a bit of an awful pun. But you know, has has invested in supporting the Ethereum protocol in the form of Teku, which is a, the staking client, which yeah, my my team uh, has developed, and Basu, which is our um, execution client, which you know that team has has developed, and we offer this to the world as as public goods, um, a very li- freely licensed and. Uh, you know, free to use um, and support, and you know anyone can get involved and make PRs, and, and and we welcome it for sure. All right, I got some wrap up questions here for you. Uh, first, rapid fire: What's your favorite food? 
<laughs> uh, Indian, absolutely. No question. <laughs> Favorite musician or band? Uh, Dave Brubeck Quartet. Do you even know who they are? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> 1950s, 1960s uh, jazz uh, combo. Did lots of very innovative stuff with uh, polyrhythm and polyphonics. Great. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I will definitely check it out. I, I, I'm a, I love music. I play guitar, so I'll definitely check it out. Um, favorite movie? Favorite movie, um, Terminator 2. Uh, yeah, just when I, I when I first saw it, mind blowing. You know, first real CGI thing that that came out, and it was just mind blowing. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. And my wife makes fun of me uh, if it's on TV. I just sit and I watch it, and she's like, "Haven't you seen this movie like ten thousand times?" <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, uh, favorite book. Favorite book. Um, I'll give you a favorite author. Um, very British, very English. P.G. Woodhouse um, is a uh, writes very lightweight, very funny novels. Wrote, I should say, um, and you know, in the nineteen sort of thirties, forties, and fifties, about uh, the um, life of hapless Brit uh, British aristocrats, and they're just very funny and beautifully written. And if I want to just escape from everything and have something which is kind of weightless to read, that's uh, P.G. Woodhouse is my go-to. Awesome. And when you're not working at Consensus or even anything crypto <laughs> what are you doing as a hobby <laughs> as a hobby i i am a musician i play saxophone um yeah i kind of got out of the habit a bit over lockdown and things so i wasn't able to kind of meet with the band so <laughs> need to kind of pick that up again so a bit out of practice but uh yeah and then trying to get out into the big wide world a bit more uh hiking and uh uh, and walking just had a week away doing some uh, hiking in Wales and uh, yeah I love that just getting out into into nature awesome and final question for you if you could create your own metaverse what would the theme be um, uh, a themed metaverse uh, <laughs> I guess this is probably not a very exciting answer but I think probably Star Trek uh, original boldly going where no one has gone before and uh yeah i yeah i just i just love that federation vision you know just is <laughs> fantastic a uh, mine would be star wars like uh, that, yeah it's anything space related star wars that i'll be in the metaverse all day oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah fabulous ben pleasure chatting with you uh exciting week ahead and i'm looking forward to the merge yeah, thanks, Tony. And uh, yeah, absolutely. It's um, nervous times. So we just got like two and a half days to go, 60 hours or something. And uh, and it's, it's going to happen. So uh, yeah, uh, very much looking forward to it. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, to join your, your podcast, Thinking Crypto, and uh, enjoy talking to you.